Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about politics, but maybe not so much in what you're expecting, given the events of this week. But we do have a lot to share politically. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Now, as far as the election that occurred on Tuesday, obviously Virginia is good news for many conservative individuals. And I'll talk more about the totality of the Tuesday election. Maybe tomorrow I'm trying to really get my ducks in a row to make sure that there's some information, a little bit of research I want to do because the standard insight you get from the networks, whether it's conservative or a CNN for that matter, they're going to go to what I call the superficial issues that everybody knew about. But I want to share some other thoughts that show how this election may have tipped in ways people didn't expect. You got to remember, like in New Jersey, how many people have fled the state of New Jersey over the past few years? And in particular, the last year, year and a half said, enough is enough. There are a lot of New Jersey license tags that are visible in Florida, in southwestern Virginia, in northeast Georgia, in eastern Tennessee, in in places like Texas, even Alabama. People were fed up with, with what's going on in the northeast, and they're fleeing. They're getting out. I mentioned the other day that here where we live in Florida, Not far from where we live at, there's this place where you can rent U-Hauls. And it seems that that by every Monday, you can't get near the place from all of the U-Hauls that have been driven down from places like New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Ought to be kind of a hint, Pennsylvania too, or at least at least parts of Pennsylvania, especially near Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. People have had enough. And they're deciding to start new careers, sell out, retire early, whatever it takes to get freedom back. And and so states, some states may remain perpetually blue because all the conservatives are going to leave them behind. And then they could all just try to tax themselves into prosperity if that's what they think works. So I'm going to give you a better analysis, probably a little bit tomorrow. If I don't get all my research done in the next day or two, it's a busy week, by the way. I just expect it by the first of the week. I'm going to try to give you a breakdown and a, and a really thorough analysis, the stuff that you don't get uh, from most of the news media. That's just going to be too superficial. And we, we know in our family, we have a my wife's daughter and husband left. New Jersey last year, I should say earlier this year, take that back, earlier back in the spring, they picked up and left New Jersey. They had enough. They're trying to start a business in a very business unfriendly state. And they decided to move to extreme southwestern Virginia. We broadcast from there over the summer, a little town called Chilhowie. And they love it there. And that county is a very conservative county. But see, there were two additional votes that would have gone to a candidate in New Jersey that now went to a candidate in Virginia. And you're going to find that in Florida, too. A lot of people that are leaving New York State, especially those from 
upstate New York that feel like they have no voice at all in government. They just they just don't have a voice. It's all run by the downstaters, as they say. And they would love to, you know, New York State is a physically large state. I grew up there as a little kid in Long Island and lived in upstate New York. I know the difference between Long Island, New York City, and and the vast regions of western New York and the northern tier and the southern tier. I, I know it well. Western New York is farmland. It's not as industrial. The Finger Lakes are beautiful. Those that like skiing love the northern tier. But see, the population, you know, that big percentage of the population lives on just a few percent of the land downstate. And so they regulate all the things you can do upstate, which is upsetting to those that enjoy freedom in upstate New York. And so, particularly on the west coast of Florida, and I knew this when I lived years ago, even in New York, I knew retired couples that they lived in, you know, like on, on a lake near in the Finger Lakes. I knew one that lived on Lake Owasco. And they had a little house there, and that's where they lived basically from May until after the first of the year. And then they would go to their little condominium somewhere on the west coast of Florida for January, February, March, and getting back normally um, end of April, sometimes into early May. Well, those are the type of people now that are just saying, we're done, we're leaving New York entirely. And they go move to Florida, and they may visit family and friends in upstate New York during the peak of the summer. But now they're in Florida. And this is going to be the changing landscape. I think people who want freedom are looking at the states in which they live and they're saying, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I believe states like maybe Michigan because of the Upper Peninsula and some other regions, they may not have as as much of an exodus because there may be a little bit of hope left yet. Time will tell. But conservative states like Florida, with a governor like Ron DeSantis, they're going to be the benefactors. People that have that have had enough and looking for freedom and saw how things have worked in Florida. Nice to know that we have the lowest coronavirus case numbers, you know, rate of any place in the country. And every idiot liberal kept saying, or leftist, I should really say, liberal, I, we got to get that term redefined. There's some classic liberals that were very nice people and meant well. But leftists never mean well. They only mean damage and harm. So let's call them for what they are. They're not liberals. They're leftists. They're Leninists. They're Stalinist. That's what they really are. And so a lot of people that don't want to live that way are coming to places like Florida, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, even the southwestern part of Virginia, East Tennessee, And all it's going to do is ensure the numbers there, especially in a place like Florida, remain somewhat conservative. Now, I'll give you a full analysis as I I really want to go through this deeper than I have, because I really do want to share with you some things you may not get from your regular media. Now, today, I want to take you out to the near the intercoastal waterway for the wedding this past weekend had a good friend of mine come down from South Carolina. I asked him to come down. 
to do me a big favor. He's one of the finest photographers I've ever met in my life, and I've known a number of them. I even have a brother-in-law who lives up in up north who couldn't be down for something like this that did that for ages. One of the best in the business for what's called advertising photography. But this individual, he started his career at a very, very young age. Uh, even had his own studio uh, back when, you know, remember back in the 60s and 70s, actually the 50s, 60s and 70s, everybody got a family portrait. You know, the Olin Mills people would come to town, but he had his own studio and did some of the finest portrait work, wedding pictures, you name it. And he can do some really fascinating photography. His talents are really incredible. Well, we decided for the daughter I asked, I said, what do it take to get you down here to do the wedding? So we bought him down. And I think for the for the quality that we're getting on photography, it was a big savings to us. His name is Dan Harvell. Now, he's also very active in politics in the state of South Carolina. Now, I've got family that goes back a couple hundred years in the upstate of South Carolina. And Dan has been very active in politics in that same county and statewide. Also has been on the executive committee of the Republican Party, one of 40-some-odd members of that committee, and also the local leader. And I had a chance before he had to fly back this week uh, to South Carolina to sit down and talk to him about both politics and also something else. And I want to start with this. Dan came down with covid And there's a doctor that was able to properly treat him. Some doctors won't because of that CDC protocol that's designed to kill you, not help you. And then a very good friend of his who he lost because of that kind of mistreatment. So we sat down and I I asked Dan the question as we opened up to, you know, about when, how was it having COVID and when did you have uh, when were you diagnosed and, and when did you go through COVID and how long did it take? Um, I had COVID-19 about about 10 months ago now. Um, I was exposed to a number of people that had it that did not know they had it when I was exposed to them. So then uh, the first symptom I had was I lost my taste. And um, then I had a horrible sinus sinus-like infection come on. Uh, My doctor is a smart doctor, Dr. Henry Jordan in Anderson, South Carolina. He's actually not a general practitioner. He's a lifelong internal surgeon. Um, but anyway, he takes care of some of us that uh, that are longtime friends of his. Uh, he put me immediately on to hydroxychloroquine and z and I took that course of meds for about uh, 10 days. I think one was 10 days. The other was, uh, was seven days. And um, it ended up being nothing but a sinus infection. It never went below my, below my neck. So in other words, how how long were you, shall we say, laid up and unable to function? Well, I was never laid up and unable to function. Of course, I kept myself uh, uh, somewhat quarantined during that period of time. But um, it, it was just like a terrible sinus infection that would not go away. I normally have sinus infections. They last about a week to 10 days. This one lasted a full three weeks. But... Uh, uh, in hindsight, I'm glad I've had it. I have the antibodies now. So, uh, of course, I would not have taken the vaccine <laughs> had I not had COVID. So the next question is, when you when you look back at how you were treated, 
I'm sure there are a lot of other people you know that have been treated very differently when they get that positive result. And sometimes the outcomes are not near as good. You, you and I were talking the other day about a dear friend of yours in Anderson. And I know it may be hard to talk about that particular set of circumstances, but I really believe that the audience needs to hear this story about your friend. Yes, my friend, and actually he was, I would call him my best friend. We were political allies for many, many years. Uh, we participated in a lot of political events together. Uh, he, was an, uh, he was an ultra-conservative, uh, as am I. And Presley and I, uh, he had siblings, but I had none. I had no brothers or sisters, and he was kind of became the brother I never had. Um, we had a lot of political adventures together, including uh, even meeting President Trump in person due to him because he was an incredible political activist in South Carolina and probably one of the most significant political activists for the conservative cause um, that I have ever known. And his loss through his death was just an absolute tragedy for the citizens of South Carolina. Um, and to make a long story short, or try to, uh, this was a month-long ordeal that we went through. Uh, he went to the hospital one night uh, because he was having difficulty breathing. He thought it was COVID. It turned out to be COVID in the test that he received at the ER. And... Um, and so they said that he was not serious enough. His O2, O2 level was high enough that they could not keep him in the hospital. So they sent him home. They told him to take zinc and some vitamins, and that's all they told him to do. Well, he went home, and he suffered through this for an entire week, and then it continued to get worse. Mm -hmm. it, got, it got to the point he was taking his own O2 levels, and he was really worried about himself. He went back to the hospital. They said, oh, yes, we have to keep you here this time so they put him in they put him in a, a in a standard room they monitored him for a few days they did not give him anything to help cure the covid and this is just absolutely infuriating now during this period of time when he couldn't ask he did ask he asked for ivermectin he asked for hydroxychloroquine uh, they would not give it to him a lot of doctors are pushing for hydroxychloroquine ivermectin and other therapeutics. And it seems that the CDC frowns upon any kind of a therapeutic. Was this hospital in essence following the CDC guideline? Uh, we found out that they were following the guidelines specifically. And the reason we know in hindsight that they were is because the hospital if they break the CDC protocol, they do not get the federal money for the COVID-coded patients. Now, as far as the money coming to the hospital from the feds, we've heard two things. We've heard that once they get you in the hospital and you are coded under COVID, the hospital gets $14,000 of federal money. We've also heard that once you are on a ventilator with COVID, uh, as your as your code, then they get another either thirty four or thirty nine thousand dollars. Now we don't know if the fourteen thousand dollars up front would be inclusive in the thirty nine on the back end or not. We don't know that. We intend to find that out because when Presley was in the in the process of not being able to 
get any treatment that he was asking for because he was still very uh, uh, well-minded at the time. I mean, he was not he was not uh, mentally deficient from from medication or anything, and he was totally at at his wits. And he knew all these options that he could be taking, and they would not give them to him. Um, during that period of time. And this uh, went on for a month, correct? Well, this went on for about a, a, a week and a half, I believe. And during that period of time, we assembled a, a team of two attorneys. We had three outside doctors consulting. Um, we had two investigative reporters that were on this. I even actually got my congressman, Jeff Duncan, who is a good friend of mine, I actually got him involved. And we did everything we could to allow Presley to have right to choose, which Trump ordered by executive order back when he was in office. Uh, they absolutely refused. Uh, and then they put Presley in ICU, and then he was locked away from family or anybody that could see him. So for the last about three weeks of his life, he saw no one, not even not even his son, who was doing everything he could hmm. to at least uh, at least see him through the glass or something. They would not allow that. I guess COVID must go through glass now. I mean, for that kind of insanity. This is one of the things that has really upset me as I've followed this story since the very beginning, is the cruelty to both family and the patient when it comes to allowing family members to be with each other. Things that could actually help people recover have been just deleted from our mindset in treating patients based on CDC protocol. So in, so you lost Presley. Presley. Uh, it was about now. It was about two, two, two months ago, something like that. Two yeah. months. Mm-hmm. And and what are you doing now, moving forward? Obviously, you're not taking this line down. You're not simply accepting this as the final, uh, his demise, the way the way it went down. You're not letting it just rest. No, we're not. And I'll tell you, the, the, the key part of not letting it rest is the fact that we we demanded an autopsy. Now, we found out something here that just infuriated all of us. We could not get any government-related pathologist or doctor to do, a, uh, to do an autopsy. I'm friends with my my coroner in uh, in my county and I talked with him about it and he said I don't know I didn't want to press him on it but he said that there is no one involved under the employ of a county a county or a, basically a hospital that will do an autopsy if it's tagged as COVID so we had to go outside the total system of government and uh, and, and, and medical, and we had to find somebody, which we did. We found one person in South Carolina, one pathologist that would do it. We've had to pay him $4,500 for that autopsy, and we are still awaiting the results of it. It should be soon. Incredible. When you think of the number of people, and, and all of us know people that have either had COVID-19 or we think they had COVID-19. We've had people that supposedly died of COVID-19. And, and it's becoming increasingly obvious to me that many of those that died, died needlessly because of the protocols that were put in place. It was almost, in my opinion, and I'm not asking you to agree with this or not, but it's almost my opinion that there were 
people and groups that wanted these numbers inflated as high as they could get them to make this disease deadlier than it needed to be. Uh, Bob, I agree with that. In fact, I would go to the, I would go as far as to say this was actually and is at this current time a mass genocide that is occurring in in America right now, if not all over the world. Uh, COVID is not really the killer that we found out. COVID is the segue to double pneumonia, which is the killer. Now, here's another thing that would infuriate anyone who has a heart for this. We found out that uh, about monoclonal antibodies. Now, there's a there's a bad thing I'm going to tell you about this, and a good thing I'm going to tell you about that that resulted from Presley's death. Uh, But monoclonal antibodies are a true answer to treatment, therapeutic treatment to COVID. But it needs to be done early on. You don't wait until they're on a ventilator to do this. Now, some people have had monoclonal antibodies administered during the uh, intubation period, and it it did work. But uh, but at that point, they've had so much lung damage, you know, they may never be right again. Mm -hmm. But but anyway, we were demanding monoclonal antibodies and they said that is not protocol. Well, we found out that that was a half truth. They will treat this Spartanburg hospital system will treat pneumonia if it's not coded as COVID with monoclonal antibodies. But if it is coded as COVID, they will not administer monoclonal antibodies. I mean, go figure that out. If that's not just some some evil from the, from the depths of hell going on here, it's just it's just infuriating. What I've noticed when you look at the CDC and the FDA in recent years, and and I'm just going to share an experience with you. I I go back a long way in radio working in Atlanta back in the 1970s, and there were times that I covered stories at the CDC. Now, we're talking like 1976. They didn't come off as a big political entity. But I do know that before COVID ever came around, uh, President Trump was beginning to look at the budget of the CDC and recognize that a tremendous percentage of their staff had zero medical background or medical work. They were getting involved with politics. In other words, the CDC was getting into gun control as part of their mission for disease control and other and and global warming and, and climate change. And, and I know that at one point, President Trump was wanting to cut the budget on the political side of the CDC. And there was a tremendous amount of pushback because they enjoyed their political stature um, and the money coming through those offices. Ever since President Biden took office on the 20th of January, it's now blatantly obvious the politicking going on at the CDC. And how many lives, you have to wonder, have been put in jeopardy, harm's way, damage, and in some cases even lost because of these policies. Uh, I I don't know if you share this opinion, but I think that this COVID-19 pandemic was used for several things. Number one, to get rid of Donald Trump. I, I don't know if you agree with that statement or not, but I think that it was. Oh, I certainly agree. Um, Donald Trump was changing things like no one had ever changed before. He was upsetting the uh, world globalist system. 
uh, like we've never seen before. In fact, I don't know that anyone's ever even attempted it before, but from his bully pul pulpit of, of the presidency of the United States, he was able to do that. Um, I believe uh, I believe a divine path was 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 laid for Donald Trump to become president because I believe that America, in all our debauchery, I believe we were on a last chance uh, a last chance <laughs> pathway, and as I refer to the Bible, uh, I I know often God said He preserved uh, preserved kingdoms uh, due to the remnant of believers that were left there. And even though this is off the subject of this, I still believe that perhaps uh, God's praying, believing Christians uh, that have continued to pray that are still a big part of America are the reason that we have been saved one more time. But I don't know. With things going the way they are now, I don't know how we're going to right the ship. But anyway, getting back, getting back to Presley, two, two things have happened uh, since his death. Number one, we are certainly going forward in a legal way uh, to pursue the, the basic medical malpractice, as we would say, that's, that occurred during his death and his, his illness, period of illness. The other thing is it engaged us to get involved with some of our lawmakers in Columbia to force some hearings uh, from the Medical Affairs Committee on the Senate side. And those hearings were very, were very telling and very revealing. The first hearing, uh, it, was, it was done in two days. The first hearing was the people that were speaking on behalf of citizens uh, and some medical profession, professionals that were speaking on behalf of treatments that were being denied concerning COVID and the hospital systems in South Carolina. Uh, the second day was from medical professionals who were, of course, touting the CDC and the governmental, uh, you know, mandates or, or, or authoritarian uh, uh Methods that they were treating COVID by, uh, supporting what was being done and the way it was being done. Well, we knew that Governor DeSantis down here in Florida, uh, and I love Florida, enjoyed being here under a governor like him <laughs> for the past few days. Uh, we knew that he had opened up and opened a pathway for these monoclonal infusion clinics to open up so people could go outside of the regular hospital system and get treated for COVID up front. Now, there's also a group of frontline doctors, they call themselves, uh, that you can access on the internet and they will actually treat you um, uh, tele telepathically, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you can get the prescription for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or a couple of other things. You can get that from them. Uh, but these medical hearings prompted the governor and whatever it was that happened at DHEC to allow these monoclonal infusion clinics to open up all over South Carolina. So even though we have lost such a, a dear friend, South Carolina is such a it's such a loss from the loss of the most powerful political activist for the conservatives that I've ever known. Uh, in his death, some good things are happening, some eyes are being opened, and some actions are being taken. You're listening to an interview I did with a very close friend of mine, Dan Harvell. If you're just tuning into the broadcast on radio, Dan Harvell and I have been friends for a number of years. He lives in Anderson County, South Carolina, uh, a native of that area. 
one of the finest photographers that I've ever met in my life, really talented. And we had the opportunity of having him spend some time with us uh, in order to photograph our uh, the daughter's wedding this past weekend. And before Dan left, I wanted to sit down and talk to him about a couple of things. Number one, his, his bout with COVID-19, what's happening in South Carolina regarding COVID. And also we talked extensively about politics in what is supposed to be a very conservative and red state like South Carolina. And we'll get to that part of the interview in just a couple of minutes from now. Do want to remind you this is the program Truth to Ponder. Got a lot of got another interview coming up next week that I think you're going to enjoy. I have a gal who is a Pfizer whistleblower and I plan to have her on the program one day next week. We're just trying to put put that together right now and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, might even have an opportunity to bring on somebody else that you've probably heard before. So we're trying to get out and and uh, interview some people, bring some newsmakers to the program and people that also have a fascinating perspective on the news and the events going on in our world today. We've been doing this program now. Hard to believe that we completed month number 14 and now we're in month number 15. Where has the time gone? You know, it, it seems like only yesterday in, in my mind, that it wasn't even the election of 2020. But I do remember, I do remember very loudly saying, if Donald Trump wins, we as Christians may get a little bit of a respite, a little bit of an extension of time before things get really bad. And I, I just did not feel the security for a number of reasons a lot of a lot of you that are listening to me may follow what I'm saying, and I want you to hear me carefully. When I started the program at the end of August in 2020, I'd already worked in emergency management. I already saw how this pandemic was going to be used to go after Donald Trump and the economy and the election and the mail-in ballots and all that could go with it. This was a golden opportunity to win an election. That's all there is to it in my mind. And I, I still personally believe there was a sufficient amount of cheating done to push Joe Biden over the top. You'll never convince me there were 81 million legitimate votes for Joe Biden, period. It, I don't think it ever happened. I think we do know now we're beginning to get stories. It's funny. It, it takes a year to get these kind of stories out. There are people talking about parents and grandparents in nursing homes that have dementia, Alzheimer's, and somehow they managed to vote, or I should say, somebody requested voting ballots to be mailed to these individuals at nursing homes, and somehow these ballots got filled out, and somehow these ballots got mailed back from many nursing home patients who sadly their minds are not able to comprehend voting any longer. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I mentioned to you like these drop-off boxes, you know, where, where 30 people put in 19,000 ballots. I mean, that really? There, there are too many of these anomalies and everybody says, but it was a fair election. There were too many anomalies, too many ways for people to, to game the system 
and with no way to go back to double check. In other words, you can't say, well, we don't know where these 19,000 ballots came from. We don't even know what the ballots were because when they get mixed in, now you can no longer identify them. And so what do you do? Redo the entire election? I don't think any judge on the planet would have considered doing that. These are the times in which we live. We have to we have to preserve the integrity of the voting booth and ballot box. It has been compromised by the left. It's time we take it back along with our nation. Now, when I get back in a couple of moments, I'm going to share a little more with Dan Harvell. We're going to talk about some of the, shall we say, politics of a supposedly deep red state and how sometimes you can be snookered. If you believe in the work that we're doing, would you consider supporting us and helping us financially for our radio airtime bill? Our mailing address, by the way, if you make out a check, make it payable to Ancient Word Radio. That's Ancient Word Radio. And the mailing address is 5753 Highway 85 North. 5753 Highway 85 North. Number 3248. That's number 3248. Crestview, Florida. 32536. That's Crestview, Florida. 32536. And we will be right back. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. That rotten thing. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now sometimes at home I smell something not quite right. I'll go to the refrigerator, I'll hunt through it, I'll tell I find something. It might be a Tupperware dish, open up. It's an unrecognizable, often very colorful thing. It was something else in another life, but it died and this food is now transformed. I quickly close it up because it's like alive and and I have the feeling it has a will of its own now. So, and it's angry because it was locked up. It's like the genie. So, so either you're going to have three wishes or you take it out of your house like the blob. So I throw it away. I close it up. I put the Tupperware container in the garbage, whatever it is. And that's it. Well, what happened? It has much to do with you. You see, salt doesn't go bad. And for the same reason, it keeps other things from going bad or rotten. It stops decay, stops things from going bad. Now you look at the world and you look what's going on in culture and the the nation, the media, the television, it doesn't smell right. So you shut it up out of your house. Good. You're out of your family. Good. Keep it out. Good. But not good enough. You see, you are the salt of the earth and the world is going bad. You complain how rotten the world is. We complain how it goes rotten, but food goes rotten because it's untouched by any preservative. And that's what the preservative of the world is. You, the salt, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? If the world is rotten, then the salt is not really doing its job or it's not salty. Stop complaining about how rotten the world is. The unsaved are. Do something about it. Start praying, fasting, share the word, give out the gospel, minister, get involved, be part of the answer because it is your business. You're the salt. And if you don't do your job, then it's a rotten thing. Want more? Ask for salt of the earth. Now, hidden for 2,000 years, now reveal the awesome, unprecedented mystery of the temple doors and sapphires guaranteed to help you become strong and victorious in God. How do you get this absolutely free, easy? Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed, but call now. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in bringing salvation back to God's ancient nation, Israel, and all the unreached peoples on five continents with over a billion people. 
now? Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. And you can really have a part in the end time harvest of salvation. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or you can write me direct. Here's how. Just write to the nice Jewish boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's a nice Jewish boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey. The zip is 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Shalom Aleichem, my friend. Peace be to you in Messiah or HaOlam, the one who is the light of the world. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our Thursday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Want to take a moment to thank Jim Calhoun again. I forgot to do it at the beginning of the program. I want to thank Jim Calhoun to, who stepped up to the plate to help me out so I could have a program for Wednesday. This has been an incredibly busy week. We, we've had people to take to and from the airport over the last uh, week. We've had a wedding. The regular work that I do, recording of this program, and putting it all together. And and I, I really wanted to share with you my good friend from Anderson, South Carolina, Dan Harvell. It's nice to get a different perspective from somebody and their take on what is happening in our world today. And, and I want to talk in just a moment about some of what is happening and what people would look at if you live, let's say, in Ohio or Michigan or, or anywhere for that matter, and you look at the map and you watch the regular news, whether it be from any source, you, you would just assume that a state like South Carolina is a reliably conservative state. Well, like a lot of places that are supposed to be reliably conservative you know, states, there are a goodly number of wolves running around in sheep's clothing. And South Carolina is no different. And I'm going to talk about that with Dan in just a moment. This has been quite a journey these past 14 months doing the program. And I just want to remind you again, if, you've, if you're a fairly new listener, when I undertook this, when I first thought about doing something on a daily basis, this goes back to the beginning of the summer of 2020, over a year ago. I've been doing the weekend radio program for about, at that point, what, five years. And it was, it was fun to do. And in my, in my background, the kind of work that I've done, I've had a very unusual career. I've been primarily in broadcast, then ministry. That's mostly what I've done is radio broadcast and ministry. But I had an opportunity out of the blue to get into public safety, emergency management, primarily as a public information officer. An opportunity presented itself to me, and, and at the time it was the right thing for me to do. It was a very educational experience, to say the least. And, and I worked for a number of years planning drills for disaster scenarios, including natural and otherwise. 
And, and because of that experience, I was asked to come out of retirement over a year ago, back in February of 2020, to help a county with their COVID response. Well, it was an eye-opener, and I began to realize that there's a lot of news that needs to get out there that is just simply not getting there. Plus, there's a lot of fake news out there on both sides of the equation that needs to be dealt with as well. And so I thought about doing like a little four or five or six minute a day video kind of podcast, video or audio. And somehow it grew into realizing shortwave is still a viable outlet. And the commitment was made to try it for a while, a full one hour format. And here we are, thanks to you. So we're going to continue doing this program. I'm just praying about the direction God is leading me and this program and my other ministry work. And I think I'm going to have some fun and exciting things to share in the weeks ahead. So keep it all in your prayers. Right now, I'm going to take you back to the intercoastal way. We were sitting outside. Good friend of mine, Dan Harvell from Anderson, South Carolina. Great photographer, very knowledgeable on South Carolina politics. And and Dan and I were sitting outside uh, before I drove him to the airport. And we started talking about South Carolina politics and, and the problem of those that are the rhinos, the Republicans in name only, and those that claim to be conservative uh, that are not. And, and this is what Dan had to say. Oh, Bob, we it's a chronic problem for us. Uh, you know, the ratings say that we have the one of the most red as far as R's behind their name, uh, general assemblies in the entire country. But yet, as a red so-called General Assembly, they rank at the very bottom of conservative principles and actions when it comes to their voting. It's very disappointing. How do they end up getting in? Are they that, uh, shall we say, polished and skilled with media and or they just know how to to game the system? Well, the system's all is pre-gamed for them because in South Carolina, we have open primaries and no registration by party. So the Democrats come over in droves in our Republican primaries because they, they may not have a Democrat candidate that they know could possibly win in the general election. So they come over and they muddy up our primaries to try to uh, elect the most liberal Republican that would be running against that Democrat in the general General. A prime example here is Lindsey Graham's situation. Uh, Lindsey takes pride in the Democrats that vote for him. A lot of our state senators have our own record saying they take pride in the Democrats that cross over in the primaries to vote for them. Uh, closed primaries and registration by party would not be the full answer because you can't totally correct this for people signing up uh wrongly, but it would be certainly an improvement to somewhat purify the system uh, from what we know now. In South Carolina, the governor has been considered by many, and I'm not going to ask you to go into too much detail, maybe your opinions. When it came to COVID response, he's he's been a little bit all over the road, according to some people. It's taken him a while uh, to allow business to retranspire some of the restrictions to be lifted. And it took literally having Senate hearings to get monoclonal antibodies into the state. Uh, Has he been an effective leader when it comes to COVID 
And if so, how and what things could he and other governors, not just him, uh, what, what could be done by the governors in the conservative states to improve the situation? Well, what could be done is every other governor uh, following especially what DeSantis has done here in Florida. Uh, DeSantis is a national hero for the stance that he's taken against the federal mandates and the government overreach. Um, In South Carolina, Henry did early on, Henry closed down a whole segment, uh, multiple segments of businesses due to COVID. Now, this was happening all over the United States at the same time. Exactly. I don't. I don't fault Henry, and, and I do know Henry uh, personally. I don't fault Henry uh, incredibly uh, harshly for that. Uh, we thought it was overreach at the time, uh, but it, we didn't know as much about COVID then as we know now. We know a lot more about COVID now. And just within weeks of uh, this interview here prior, uh, our governor said that he would go to the gates of hell to fight government mandates. Wonderful. And, well, that sounded great. I mean, you know, we were proud of him and feeling good about things. And then several weeks later, in fact, he was making an announcement in my home county where he had come up to cut the ribbon for a new manufacturing company that was going to provide 120 jobs in Anderson County. And, of course, that's good. That's what governors do when when things open up. But after that speech, he was interviewed by the reporters, and he was asked by them, well, what are you going to do about these mandates coming down to companies that hire more than 100 employees having to force everyone, uh, force uh, the vaccine uh, mandates on everyone? And he said something that made everybody's jaws drop to the ground. He said, well, he said, it's not really it's not really government's place to interfere between private enterprise and their employees. So here we are. That's where we're left right now. He has gotten a he has gotten an incredible amount of of response from that. Uh, I don't think anybody is is supporting him on that. And hopefully soon that he's going to see the light enough to 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 turn that around we need a special session of the general assembly to take a uh, to take a vote from the lawmakers to say we're not going to or no one is can be forced in south carolina to um, execute the mandates that are coming down to these employees but the other problem probably even more than the governor at this point is jay lucas who is the speaker of the south carolina house of representatives he is the one that will would call the special session and he's sitting on his hands doing nothing so we're very frustrated what bothers me about what your governor has stated it it really does pertain to government getting involved because this is technically an unwritten government mandate coming down from washington to any company of over 100 people show me the document that says they must do this many companies are afraid and they're doing this out of fear of the federal government and you would think or at least i would hope that the state government would intervene and say the federal government has no authority to do this. There is no law to back this up. There is no legislation. There is no true mandate um, except the one that is published in a press release that doesn't have the weight of law. You you would think that the attorney general in the state of, of South Carolina or Georgia or other states would intervene. What could South Carolina do, in your opinion, uh, with some of these literally 
unconstitutional mandates that are being pushed by this fake president that we have. Well, and I'm glad you said fake president because I had one thing that I needed to correct you on. You earlier referred to him as President Biden. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I cannot sit here and let that go un, uh, unchallenged because he is not president. Donald Trump won by most likely a landslide. We That's a whole nother issue with the election integrity debacle that we've gone through. But anyway, just to correct you on that one thing. Um, I really don't know what more can be done other than the General Assembly coming together and saying uh, in a unified voice that we, no one is going to be held responsible in South Carolina for not following the federal mandates. And of course, we know those mandates are really a pie in the sky. Uh, but you know, with the national media pounding on everything the way they do, um, this cabal of collusion that has brought us to this point in America is just tragic. And um, and we do somewhat have our hands tied behind our back as, as conservative Republicans as to what we can do and how we can be effective. A lot of people try to look at 2022 as our salvation. Somehow we're going to get it fixed at the next election and maybe in 2024, maybe Trump will be back. I have a hard time believing if we even have that much time uh, to get everything put back together as it should be. What are your thoughts as you look at the election that happened in 2020 compared to 2016 and where we may be heading to in the years ahead? Well, Bob, my perspective on this comes from a lifetime of experience in, in politics and government. I was elected to city council when I was in my early, early 20s. Um, I did a, a brief stint there for a term or two and uh, found out how much government wasted. At that time, I flipped over to the side of uh, taxpayer and citizen advocacy and taxpayer rights, citizen rights, and I've been there ever since. Uh, I have been on the inside of Republican politics all these years because I've been an active member of my party. I've served as party chairman for three terms. I'm in my third term as one of the 46 voting members of the South Carolina GOP executive committee, which means that that committee should control exactly what's happening within the Republican Party in Anderson County, in, in all of South Carolina, rather. Um, we have a strong arm chairman uh, who was reelected and um, we had some skullduggery that went on within the reorganization and convention process, county convention processes across the state. Uh, and he has remained silent on that. And um, it's very discouraging on the state party level to have leadership that does not require more of our elected Republican leaders. Therefore, we are putting in, put in a situation where uh, only the voters making enough noise themselves can change anything. But actually, the Republican Party leadership should be able to do half of this for the voters that they wouldn't even have to do themselves. But sadly, that's not happening. Now, as far as the 2022 election, my opinion is 2024 cannot possibly be corrected if 2022 is not corrected first. These swing states where we had all this problem with Trump losing by just a hair, um, those it's up to those state legislatures to fix and purify the election system there as much as they can so that this can't happen again. Uh, I think the COVID crisis is, is being continued as much as it possibly can be uh, 
if for no other reason, just for the 22 election, they want to continue to allow the mail-in ballots, the the ballot drop boxes, and all that that caused so much um, that caused so much so many problems um, in in 2020. Have you noticed that Democrats, in particular, they want you to have a COVID ID, but they don't care about a voter ID? Yeah, isn't that disgusting? I mean, you even have to have a, a, a picture ID for the most part to get library cards at your county libraries. I mean, this is one of the biggest ruses that's ever been forced upon the people of, uh, of, of America about this ID situation. And of course, they're adamant that everyone have that national ID which of course has all kind of background background information that just enables the government and certain entities to have more and more control over our lives. Well, really a Fourth Amendment violation. Of course, yes, absolutely. But the Constitution does not mean much anymore. I mean, you know, we threw the Bible away many years ago uh, as far as government was concerned for the most part, and now we've thrown the Constitution. If you can't live by the Bible and the United States Constitution as a governing body, uh, you're not going to have much of a country left in a few years. When it comes to election integrity issues in the United States, I want to just go to your state of South Carolina. What are some of the issues that you may have with some of the election integrity issues or problems that have occurred or could be occurring in the state of South Carolina? Well, in reference to the fact that South Carolina is one of the most red states uh, in the nation, uh, Trump only won by results we were given by 11%. There is absolutely no way that a reasonable person can accept that and be okay with that uh, if they're really thinking. we know, just for instance now, uh, you know, as I, as I said, I'm on the South Carolina Executive Committee of the of the GOP. And uh, we were told by the chairman and the executive director at the last committee meeting about a month, about two months ago, that they had sat down and met with the state election director and he had assured them that there was no internet connection whatsoever within the South Carolina voting system process. We know that to be an absolute lie and a falsehood. Um, we have people that who have, who have been working at the polls, and we know that those tabulators do, I, I mean, it, it's just blatant. You can go in and you can, you, you look around, you'll find that modem. You will find that modem. And those tabulators are internet connected. So, you know, in the age of hacking and all that, you, there is no doubt that South Carolina's voting system was uh, infiltrated through the through the online process somehow or another, and uh, we just we just know better than to think that Trump only won by eleven percent in this day in this particular state. Uh, we have uh, two citizens committees that have been going after this in much in somewhat of a silent way, which is probably best at this point. But they have gathered a plethora of information concerning infractions, uh, uh, proof of internet connection at polling places, and 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 the like that uh, that is very 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 concerning. And of course, we use the we don't use the Dominion system. We use the the ESS system, which is actually a subsidiary of Dominion. So it's basically the same thing in South Carolina. 
How do you think it could be corrected in a state like South Carolina or other places? Do you have any thoughts in that regard? Well, you know, Bob, the ultimate uh, the ultimate answer to this uh, would be to go to paper ballots. Um, as long as we have electronic voting that can be infiltrated by the Internet, nothing is secure and nothing is safe. Uh, going forward, maybe the COVID situation won't have as much of an impact on the coming elections as it did in 2020, but um, we'll we'll just have to see. I want to thank my good friend Dan Harvell for for joining me on the program today. Dan is a very close friend. I've known him for a number of years. He's from Anderson, South Carolina, where I've spent a lot of my life. I've got family going back 200 years in that part of the world. And I enjoyed having Dan be with us for the daughter's wedding. He's a wonderful photographer, and I'm so glad to be able to get him to to do this for us. And then, of course, Dan and I enjoyed some some time together talking about life, people we know, and some politics. And I thought I'd share some of that conversation with you today. Now, tomorrow, I may talk a little bit about some politics, but, you know, there's always that part of me, especially when we come to the weekend. I, I just feel like we need to end the week and, in, in essence, begin the next week with some hope. And, and so I'll, I'll be thinking about exactly what needs to be done for for tomorrow's program and and for the weekend. And, and so keep it in prayer. I, I just need to encourage people at this time we can get back to the politics monday and tuesday of next week i've got a lot of analysis and reading i want to do i want to get into the numbers and really begin to define what may be happening under the surface that even newsmax fox and one american news might be missing there's some things that are being missed that need to be brought to the surface and we'll and we'll do that next week I'm also trying to get together a couple of guests. I'm going to try to bring uh, Edward Zoll back. You may remember him from working at True News. He's getting ready to launch a ministry, and I'm I'm hoping to to catch up with him. Uh, matter of fact, I'm planning a little trip up to Vero Beach. It's only about a half hour or so from where we live, and to talk to him about a few things. Also, I have somebody I plan on bringing on the program who's a whistleblower for Pfizer. And I think she'll have a lot to share as well. Would you keep the program in prayer as we continue doing what God has laid upon our hearts to do? I want to increase shortwave. I think it's still important as well as the podcast, but shortwave, I think, is where the new listeners come from. If you can help us out to buy the airtime, our mailing address, by the way, make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. That's Ancient Word Radio. Mailing address for Truth to Ponder is 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. That's 5753 Highway 85 North, number 3248. And that is in Crestview. One word, Crestview, Florida. And the zip code is 32536. That's Crestview, Florida. And the zip code 32536. Once again, I want to thank you for listening most important thank you for praying for this radio program every day this has been truth to ponder with bob bierman to find out more visit our website truth the number two and the word ponder.com 
That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.